Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Arsenal are back in business, but Man United are back to square one. Chelsea's troubles are over and Jose Mourinho can smile again. Creaky Liverpool are still top of the league with wasteful Man City coming up next. But what's happened to Everton and Aston Villa? I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review podcast and to discuss another action-packed weekend, I'm joined by Matt Froelich. Hey. I'm Podrick Whelan. Hi Dan. I wanted to ask you both to start this week. In your opinion, at what point in the season does the table traditionally begin to take shape? Oh God, what a question. (laughs) (laughs) When... I think everyone will say when the obvious favourites are nearer the top. Okay. So like Liverpool top of the league now, would you say that is the table? Yeah, shape? well, the, the rest of it, not so much. When Whenever the top, the better teams his, uh, historically are nearer the top, that's when it officially sort of takes shape. Because <laughs> yeah, it's too kind easy of Man United in the like, relegation oh, zone. <laughs> well, Spurs are third at the moment, so what does that tell yeah. us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The table's lying. They'll never keep that up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say 10 games personally. Um, I think that is the, the traditional sort of barometer, but some would say Christmas, some would say even later. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm wondering whether the table is actually going to take shape at all this season. I'm wondering yeah. you know, we could still have Man United in the relegation zone at Christmas, which would be quite interesting. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will probably still have a job. So yeah. Uh, well, we're going to start at Old Trafford this week, coincidentally, where Arsenal got their first Premier League win on that ground since 2006 and their first win away at a top six side in over six years. Uh, let's talk about Manchester United first. Um, Podrick, were you at all convinced that they turned a corner under Solskjaer after their good wins against PSG and RB Leipzig in the Champions League? Not really, because I, I just think with Man United, that's all that's going to keep happening as long as he's there. Like The squad's good enough and he does... He does set them up well in like those big European games, especially and against teams that are they're probably going to have it tougher against, like PSG, the the one that pretty much got them the job, the one a few weeks ago, Leipzig. They obviously destroyed it, but they do have good enough players in that team that they are capable of doing that to anyone. And they're also with him in charge. You just feel that a result like that one against Arsenal or any of their other domestic struggles of the last few weeks are just going to keep happening like as long as he's there I can just see that they will they'll go out they'll maybe get to a Champions League quarterfinal but they'll also yeah be kind of languishing around maybe 6th 7th like the way they've started the league season he seems confident that they're going to come back and I think he pointed out that it took them longer to to get um, after 10 games to get up and running last season and they still managed to qualify for the Champions League but I wouldn't be so confident this year the way they're playing the way others are playing so yeah I'm not sure the corner will ever really be turned to be honest <laughs> yeah it's just like it's like Groundhog Day isn't it I mean we had an yeah. email from uh, Carlos Lopez who suggests Solskjaer must have some sort of top secret information that could bring down the Glazer family because that's the only logical reason he's still in a job um, as you said they've got just one point from a possible 12 at home in the Premier League this season and after the game Solskjaer pointed out that it took them 10 games to get three wins last season whereas this season they've done it in six so that's progress I guess Matt um <laughs> yeah, you can call it progress. Maybe a smaller <laughs> step of progress. Yeah. Um, I just think that the Padres are absolutely right there. There just seems to be this inconsistency that you never know which United is going to show up. And it is, must be such a nightmare for the fans and for the players to kind of think, oh, are we going to put in performances today? Are we not? I feel like it's very heavily reliant on the players turning up. And if they don't, they don't really look to Solskjaer with much faith of, you know, let's go back to, you know, when things get a bit complicated and you think, let's go back to how we used to do it. Let's get back, you know, to basics. There doesn't really seem to be a basic with Solskjaer. It's very much a sort of each week as it comes without any sort of um, um, sort of hallmark of a Solskjaer side, which will get them wins when they need to. Yeah, I think, I mean, you talk about players, uh, they need players to step up. I mean, I think um, Bruno Fernandes has really stepped up over the last, you know, year or so, probably kept Solskjaer in a job. He wasn't particularly good against Arsenal. He got taken off for Donny van der Beek, which, you know, wasn't the, the, perhaps the worst decision in the world, Podrick, but, but Paul Pogba stayed on the pitch, you know, considering how poorly he was playing. What do you think was the Solskjaer's thinking there? Yeah, even before that, then you also had, like, that he brought, Fred off was it about ten, twelve minutes before that and takes and brings Nemanja Matic on in a game that 
you're like, what? 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 You're not even sure what the thinking is there, or yeah. what? What is planet? And to leave the use of Van de Beek's been really weird because remember, like right at the very start when he came in and it was at the Palace game, he came on and he scores in his debut, and he just looks like a really intelligent, clever player from all that we've seen in the Champions League stuff in recent years as well. And I know that people keep saying it's going to take time. It's going to take time, but I mean, he was. Apart from when they went crazy on deadline day, he was the only real big marquee name that they'd brought in in the summer. And you kind of, I thought by now we would have seen a lot more of him just because of, like you're saying, how poorly or how inconsistent even that Pogba is. Um, like, I like Scott McTominay, but I'm not sure he's really cut out to be starting all the time for United. And I guess he feels a bit more comfortable with him and Fred and the protection like that will give Fernandez, But... Yes, just his use of Van de Beek and the way that on Sunday, like you said, with Pogba, who was having a stinker from like minute one and that he managed to, to see that out. Yeah, he doesn't help himself a lot with, with those kind of decisions. Mm. I mean, we talk about Pogba. I feel like it's at the point now where you, you, we're just never going to see this sort of fantasy idea of Pogba that people have in the head of him. You know, People look about, back to his time at Juventus when he was really good and he's just never sort of delivered to that in, in, in a United shirt. I don't, I don't think he ever will. And Matt, do you think United have painted themselves into a corner with Pogba and is it time to kind of think about selling him for a reasonable price and just moving on without him at some point in the near future? Um, it depends what you mean by a reasonable price. <laughs> this is the problem. United keep playing him, hoping that he'll play well enough so they can charge a decent amount of money for him, but not so well that they'll be ridiculed for selling him. There's like a real sweet spot of around 60 to 80 million. <laughs> and I don't think any team is going to pay, certainly the higher reaches, the 70, 80 million for him. I just, for me as well, I mean, talking about the Vanderbeek situation as well, him and Pogba aren't being played in their favoured position. They, Manchester United have so many pieces of a puzzle that just does not fit together. Yeah. Pogba does not fit into this puzzle. He is not, um, like you said, with McTominay and Fred behind Fernandez. Pogba isn't the defensive cover. You know, as, as a, he's not the defensive cover behind Fernandez. That's not Pogba's game. Yeah. He's not going to replace Fernandez. I think he could do a good job at number 10, but Fernandez is better. I just think he doesn't fit into the United puzzle. And yeah, as, as much as you think individually, if you look at individual talent-wise, he's up there with the best in the world, in my opinion. Some of the stuff he can do with the football is phenomenal. He's just not doing it enough to warrant taking someone else's position in the team and potentially upsetting the dynamic of, of the starting eleven. So yeah, I'd sell him. But I don't know. What do you think a reasonable price is? Do you reckon someone would pay 50 more for him? 60 million? Uh, yeah, I feel like Real Madrid would probably go for it at some point. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he's got one year left on his contract after this one, I believe. Yeah. So it's sort of, you know, if they don't sell him this summer, then they risk losing him on a free contract or they offer him a massive contract uh, just to kind of save face, a bit like Arsenal did with Meza Ozil and, and yeah. end up in a position where you've got a, a player earning huge money who's not delivering every week. So I think I think decision time is getting pretty close for United. Ma maybe, a maybe that's the cover. Maybe they sell him for, you know, 40 million next summer under the guise of, oh, we had to because, you know, last year contract. Yeah, yeah. I mean, forty million would be a steal, you would think. Yeah, um, but then based on you know what we've seen from him in the past couple of years, yeah. Know, if your team spent forty million on him and got even, even if you'd spent forty instead of like the hundred odd that Man United did spend, you'd be disappointed with mm, him, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but anyway, it was a very good result and performance from Arsenal and a timely one after it seemed a few doubts were starting to creep in about Mikel Arteta. Um, Podrick, are you confident that Arteta can get Arsenal back to where they want to be um, in a long-term basis? And what do you think they need in terms of signings to get there? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think like they've already, what he's been in the job just kind of under a year now and I think you can definitely see like how much they've improved. I think like he's a really, really talented coach, and you could see why like City obviously were so so annoyed about him leaving and that they wanted to keep him and maybe he would have been the long term successor there, who knows? But like even I don't it's weird like in terms of signings, I don't even know that I couldn't even like pinpoint any targets or positions really they need because I think even from within they've got some some good young players there that he can improve, like in Ketty is obviously 
looks like a really mm-hmm. talented young striker. You've got Bukayo Saka, who's kind of broke through and looks looks a real big talent under him. And then even guys, not even like young players, but he's kind of brought El Nene in from the cold net, and he was I thought he was really really mm-hmm. good um, on Sunday at Old Trafford, probably after Bellerin, maybe maybe their best player. He was just so comfortable and and everything that he was doing. So. Like even guys like that, I mean, the only one that he seems that he's just unable to improve is Mesut Ozil. But yeah. like, I don't even know. He, he just he seems like he is capable of improving players that are already there or young players who are coming through. So um, I'm not sure. Yeah, what what January will, will actually bring for them? Yeah. But you, you might look at Alex Lacazette and say he's letting the side down somewhat um, you know I know a few Arsenal fans who don't rate him at all like yeah. that, and, uh, yeah. I wonder if, if they could upgrade their, their sort of number nine position whether that would be the next step forward for them um, but like you say yeah, they've got they've got some young players coming through I think Eddie Nketiah could be the, the long term replacement for Lacazette if, yeah. if they sort of keep you know giving him minutes here and there so yeah I think it'd be interesting to see what's what's going on with Arsenal as you mentioned uh, he played El Nani alongside Thomas Partey which was a bit of a masterstroke in this game you know some might consider Arteta's tactics a little bit boring but he's really solidified them and got them playing well um, and I was thinking during this game Matt why doesn't Solskjaer just copy those tactics <laughs> why doesn't he just <laughs> set United up to play like that as well and surely that sort of solves some of their problems I'm not sure they've got the players to. This is you know, it's problem. I just think they tactically and the players they've got at their disposal just don't fit. Mm. Like we were talking about the, the Pogba situation and Padre just mentioned Ozil. That is a perfect example. Arteta isn't trying to fit yeah. an overpaid big name into the squad if he doesn't fit the vision or the system of what he's trying to create. So he just doesn't play him. End of story. And if there are players who are far less um, attractive of a name like El Nenny, but he'll do the job, then he plays him. And I think that's the difference between the two and all, all credit for Arteta. Um, but yeah, the Solskjaer could do that too. I mean, you know, Pogba wasn't his signing. He wasn't the one who, who wanted him. He came in after Pogba, so he's got the excuse. Um, I just don't think from a business perspective, it's so... So wise to leave, you know, someone the size of Paul Pogba outside of the team. But if it's going to be for the benefit of the team, Solskjaer has to have the balls to make that decision. Unfortunately, I don't think he does. I was thinking in terms of the the back three as well, really. I mean, Arsenal's back three were superb in this game. Gabriel, Rob Holding and Kieran mm. Tierney. At the other end, you've got uh, Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof, who are probably one of the worst performing central defensive partnerships in the league at the moment. Very I'm wondering if just slotting another centre-back in there is going to make United... A bit but the thing is, I, I feel like the Arsenal centre-backs know their roles very well mm. and adding one more centre-back to a horrendous back line for United will just complicate things further. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Uh, well, Arsenal have got Aston Villa, Leeds, Wolves and Tottenham in their next four games. I think we're going to learn a lot about them in those games, aren't we, Podrick? Yeah, I think I think they should all be actually really exciting games as well. You look mm. at the teams that they're kind of coming up against as well. I think, yeah, the next month or so for Arsenal... The only kind of uh, probably annoyance for Arteta is they're still combining it with Europa League, but then they're off to a good start in that, and he can kind of that's when he can give, um, you know, the younger guys we've mentioned um, a go on that. But I think the big thing just from those those games, I mean, the Tottenham one's a bit harder, obviously a derby. You never know, kind of what way that's going to go. But the the three before it, they're all coming up against like quite expansive teams and teams that like to play a bit themselves and. Arsenal for all like they've actually been really good um, defensively the last few months um, maybe the last month or so they're kind of attacking wise they're just not creating enough chances you know they had the two games in a row where they didn't score and then even Sunday I mean they didn't like it's not as if they were creating loads of chances against Man United who were kind of there for the taking I mean they did deserve to win it and obviously they got the goal from the penalty so I think kind of the big thing for Arsenal does get or maybe just seeing them creating a few more chances looking a bit livelier and a bit more zippy in front of goal again like like they have done maybe at, towards the end of last season uh, Well for the second weekend running Liverpool came from behind to win 2-1 when they beat West Ham at Anfield on Saturday evening there was a surprise name in the Liverpool starting lineup when an injury to Fabinho meant 23 year old Nathaniel Phillips made his first Premier League start for the club and he was excellent wasn't he Matt? Yeah I thought he was brilliant I thought he was he had a really really good debut he um, th- this is what I always talk about um, when it comes to like players you know fitting the system Phillips 
was very similar defensively, not, not with the ball, defensively to Van Dyke. There wasn't too much of a change where, you know, Van Dyke wins an insane amount of headers. He's very physical. He's the big guy at the back. It's not like they put in a different type of defender where suddenly Joe Gomez had to adapt his game and be the big guy. It wasn't like that at all. Phillips replaced Van Dyke in stature uh, uh, as much as anything else. Um, and I think he was really, really good for that job. I think you, no one's replacing Van Dyke. I mean, you know, that's straight off the bat. Mm. Um, but yeah, I thought he did a really good job. Having said that, I'm not so sure that Sebastian Allaire gave him too many um, too many issues. I thought mm. it was really, really <laughs> poor from him um, going forward. The rest of West Ham actually did all right on the counter-attack, but I thought Allaire was so poor. Yeah, it's been a very disappointing time for him at West Ham, hasn't yeah. it, really? He's just not really offering anything. Uh, did you know that um, Nathaniel Phillips' dad uh, was a defender who played for Bolton against Liverpool in the 1995 League Cup final? Jimmy Phillips, mm. bit of trivia for you there. Wow. <laughs> How long has it taken you to find that one? <laughs> it was mentioned on Match of the Day, actually. Oh. I just wrote it off. <laughs> You're stealing facts again. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I'm, but uh, I'm sensing alongside Phillips, Liverpool fans are growing a bit impatient with Joe Gomez, Podrig. Uh, he was at least partly at fault for the West Ham goal. Is it fair to say his development appears to have stalled a bit in the past year or so? Uh, actually, I don't know. It's weird because I like Gomez and to kind of defend him a bit, I think this season... I think he's played alongside like five different centre backs already, and the season's not even that old. So to have had five different, I think, central defensive partnerships, I mean, that's not easy. Mm. Like for any player to kind of get settled, and you've obviously you've got at times he's like Matt said, he's got a debutant coming in alongside him. Where I mean, he didn't have to change things too much, um, but. I mean, it's still he's kind of guiding a, a young guy through, or a, a guy that's actually the same age as Joe Gomez, but an experienced guy, which is also another thing. I think it's easy to forget that Gomez, because he's kind of been around and been on the radar what, since like Rogers was at Liverpool, mm-hmm. that you could forget that he is as young as he is. Um, at times, he's had you know midfield players come in playing alongside him, so to kind of defend him a bit, that I think uh, I don't think that's helped him, and if he does. If he has Van Dyke alongside him, maybe for like the whole season, obviously it's not going to happen now, but I think he probably will look a bit better. Mm. Bit of Joe Gomez trivia for you. His middle name is Dave. Not David, Dave. Dave? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which That's is a great funny. middle name, I think, yeah. Uh, it was Pablo Fornals who got the goal for West Ham, his second of the season. I remember thinking he was a really good signing when they got him from Villarreal, but uh, after not really delivering last season, he's, he's beginning to look the part now, isn't he, Matt? Yeah, wasn't it, didn't he sign off the back of a really good, was it the World Cup, the under-20s for Spain? Mm, might have been, yeah. Uh, under-23s, I think, maybe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that, and Spain won that tournament, and he was phenomenal. He was so good in this Spanish side with so many good young players, and you really, yeah, I really expected a lot of him last season. Um, but again, every time someone, a player like that doesn't quite, um, doesn't quite work for them at West Ham, I always look at the bigger picture of West Ham in of themselves and thinking, are they set up for these kind of players to flourish? Mm. I mean, you know, there's players who have so much ability. Um, there's Yarmolenko, Lanzini, um, Felipe Anderson, who's now left the club. All these sort of slightly more luxury players at West Ham seem to come in and out of the door and can never really get a foothold and they never really play to the best of their abilities. Yet a gruelling workhorse like Mark Noble can stay in the first team for 18 <laughs> years or whatever it is. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure. It, it's, I think it's more West Ham than it is more an individual player. Um, certainly a, an attacking sort of exciting player. But yeah, no, he's, he's really good. If he gets firing and really gets a good run in the team... And they play to his strengths and Jared Bowens as well, who I think is really good. Um, then they could be a lot better. I just think it's consistency-wise, and that's something we haven't really said about West Ham in the last few years. Yeah, well, he was, of course, a Pelle- Manuel Pellegrini signing, and a lot of the players that he brought haven't really sort of mm. uh, stuck around and, and survived under David Moyes. But Fornals is one who, who certainly has and is, is really kicking on now, which is good to see. No Fornals trivia for us, Dan? Uh, no, no. Oh, you were two I'm for two with yeah. Phillips and Gomez. <laughs> I thought we were on a roll. I know, the bar has been set. Oh, how quickly can I look at something up on Wikipedia? Uh, Liverpool got their equaliser from the penalty spot thanks to a pretty soft penalty decision what do you make of that one Padre did Salah dive there or or do you think he's entitled to go down in that situation I I don't I don't think it's a dive Um, 
I think the way he falls is maybe a bit exaggerated and but I think Maswaku does come in like through the back of him. I don't know like entitled to go down or whatever, but I think I do think it's a penalty. I thought the kinda the witch hunt that seemed to be out for him and I think even Harry Kane got a bit of it at the weekend as well was uh was maybe a bit exaggerated, especially when you see. I don't know if anybody saw uh, Luke Ayling's dive for Leeds on Monday night. Oh, now that's yeah. that is a dive. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, I think when you know when you get a bit of a kick like that, why not go down if if you're going to get a penalty for it? I mean, just don't kick yeah. people in the box. Would be, would be my advice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a, a bit, bit of daft. a bit of a soft one, but. It happens, doesn't it? Um, I mean, Liverpool got a, a bit of a uh, decision go against them soon later when Diogo Jota had a goal disallowed for, for us, uh, a foul on from Sadio Mane on Lucas Fabianski. Did you think that one was fair enough, Matt, or, or were they a bit unlucky there? I I wish we could hear what they were talking about when they discussed it on VAR because I was so confused. <laughs> First off, I thought they were looking at whether it touched Mane so Jota was offside. Then he didn't win the ball, so Ogbonna won the ball technically, which meant that I thought it was a foul on him. And then I heard it was a foul on Fabianski. <laughs> I didn't. I, I, all I know is that something went wrong. That they obviously thought it wasn't. It wasn't worth the goal. It was a very bizarre one. I think when the ball is open, it is is sort of up for a challenge like that. It's just it's such a tangle even when you watch the replay. I don't know. I don't think I could have complained or sort of accepted it either way. It is what it is. I'm not the guy I paid to make that decision, <laughs> thankfully. No, I thought it was probably a foul on the goalkeeper, that actually. I mean, you know, there's a bit, bit of a debate about whether goalkeepers get too much protection, isn't there? But I thought I thought that one was fair enough. But but then if 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 Ogbonna won the ball and deflected it to Jota, what what's the goalkeeper being impeded from doing? Mm, yeah, good point. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, Jota did soon get his goal to make it 2-1 anyway. He isn't yet a starter for Liverpool, but Padre, can you see him maybe displacing Roberto Firmino as the main number nine in the not-too-distant future? Yeah, I think if you're Jota, you're probably quite annoyed or getting to the stage where you'll be thinking, like, what more do I have to do? Because, like, I know the stats only tell, like, so much a story, but he's already, I think he's got, like, 300-odd, fewer minutes than Firmino but he's already got four goals and I think all Firmino's managed all he's managed but a goal and two assists you expect more than that and I know Firmino's he's not that kind of number nine he's a lot more selfless and it's more about the team but even still for a guy playing through the middle for a Liverpool attack you do kind of expect a little more and especially now that Yota's kind of showing the showing the way for him and and just seems to be everything's going right for him at the Mm. moment and he just looks he just looks really lively, he looks really eager to impress and he looks clinical as well. Like the way he's taking all his goals, there's not a lot of hanging about with him and it's he's taking them really well. So I think, yeah, we'll get to the point soon. It's definitely if I was him where you'd be kind of knocking on Klopp's door and wondering, okay, like what more do I have to do? I've come in, kind of um, hit the ground running. I've earned my chance to start every week now, have I not? Yeah, I mean, he was probably under no illusions about what his role would be when he came yeah, in, wasn't course, he? And, yeah. You know, this time last year, he wasn't even Wolves' first choice striker, so he's, uh, you know, he's he's done remarkably well to get where he is. But yeah, you do wonder, you know, he's going to make uh, Klopp's life difficult and give him a bit of a selection headache the more he's, the more he keeps scoring goals, isn't he? Um, Liverpool away at Man City next week, Matt. How do you see that one going? Um. How do you see that one going down? <laughs> Don't ask me. I have no idea. I've stopped making predictions about this season. Yeah. The, the, every time I think, oh, you know, both of them might not certainly defensively be what they used to be. The Premier League's a bit crazy. We're going to expect a four-all. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not kind of what everyone hypes it up to be. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm going to go for a, a 1-0 home victory to Manchester City. Oh, okay. That's it. Yeah. I don't think it will be quite as exciting based off the fact that everything tells me it should be exciting. <laughs> certainly take that. I mean, City have, have definitely, uh, as we'll, we'll talk about later on, have definitely solidified a bit defensively. And mm. uh, But they're up against one of the best attacking sides in the league. So, yeah, But I, I just don't, it, it's still going to be like Torres through the middle or something, right? Probably, yeah. I think that there's a possibility Aguero might be fit, but probably not fit enough to start I don't think so Ugh. yeah 
It's got all the makings of a nil-nil. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who, who plays centre-back for Liverpool, certainly, yeah. Yeah, yeah true. Uh, well, Chelsea's defensive woes appear to be well and truly over as they kept a clean sheet for the fourth consecutive match in their 3-0 win at Burnley on Saturday. This was the first time Chelsea have been able to start all six of their new summer signings and it looks like it's really starting to click for them, doesn't it, Podrick? Yeah, I thought yeah, they were really good. Um, you know, those times in the game where Burnley put it up to them a bit as well and they, they coped really well with that. Um I think it was, I guess it was kind of a fluke, wasn't it, that all six of them started. I don't think Timo Werner was supposed to, and then um, when Pulisic got injured in the in the warm up, mm. so I mean he's kind of looked at it. But yeah, they they looked uh, they looked really good. Um, although I did think for all the for all the, the new signings came in and impressed, it was like a an academy kid that they've brought through. It was probably Sean the brightest, but uh, yeah, it's starting. They're starting to look a lot more. Um, what more solid at the back, and I know it's it's just Burnley who. I mean, if you can't keep a clean sheet against Burnley, then <laughs> you know it is it's probably time to worry. But even in in Europe, they've started to look a little more assured. Even with like there seems there's still a lot of chopping and changing going on. You, I still don't think I'm really sure who who their best uh, centre back partnership is, but. I mean, there is, there's definite improvements with them, for sure. Mm, I mean, that says it all about the sort of strength and depth they've got now that, you know, they can go, oh no, Christian Pulisic is injured in the warm-up. Timo Werner starts instead. Yeah. Not bad, that is it? <laughs> I was going to ask you about Mason Mount as well. You know, you mentioned uh, he he was man of the match in this game. He played alongside Kante and, and Kai Havertz in a three-man midfield. Do you think they're better sticking with that now and, and, and leaving Jorginho on the bench where possible? I don't know, because I think that's, that's a really tough one because I think, I would have Jorginho in there so I just think especially in games against teams that that are going to have more of the ball and that you do need to maybe be a little cuter in possession I think Jorginho just gives you something that there's probably nobody else in that midfield does and gives you well I was going to say he does he gives you a reliable penalty kick taker but then he missed his last one didn't he so (laughs) I think he has scored since then actually uh, yeah yeah Yeah. it was just that was the it sticks in my head because it was such a such an amusing mess because <laughs> the goalkeeper has his back to it and it still hits. But yeah, I mean it's it's a nice uh, it's a nice dilemma for Lampard. But I don't. It's, it's also one I don't know if you are going to bring Jorginho into that midfield, like who who kind of slots out because, I mean, the one you would naturally say you wouldn't take probably Havertz out. You wouldn't take Kante. You would look at the the one who's not the the biggest name and it's Mason Mount. But then, like you've said as well, that he was best player in the park for Chelsea at the mm. weekend so I mean what's he done to justify coming out I mean it's a good he's got kind of he's got good um, he's got good dilemmas like kind of all over the park now I mean even his Peter Cech is back up goalkeeper these days <laughs> so doesn't even have to worry about Kepa anymore he's, yeah. got, he's got plenty of nice problems he's got a great squad to work with there hasn't yeah. he and, and Hakim Ziyech opened the scoring with his first Premier League goal uh, at Burnley how important do you think he's going to be for Chelsea this season Matt? Um, really, really important. I, I, I think he's got. He's definitely a game changer. He's definitely got the key in in games that might be a little bit more difficult for Chelsea. Um, and I think what he does is he doesn't necessarily change um, the system too much as well. This is what I like, and I feel like we spoke about it quite a bit before. When he comes in, it, nothing changes too drastically. You know, like they took out Pulisic, um, a flying left winger, um, and brought in Werner. Yes, Werner's a bit more direct to the goal and not as creative as Pulisic, but they, they, nothing really changes. And I think Ziyech is such a good part of this team. Um, can play in a variety of positions, can take over Havertz's role and still create from the centre as well, can play on the right. I just think he's going to be so, so good. And I can really see him kind of... Once he gets, you know, really, really fit and consistent, that he'd be one of the first names in the team sheet for me personally. And I would leave him, I would leave him out of that central midfield conversation and just be like, you're, you're the guy on the right wing. You know, I wouldn't sort of try messing around with putting Havertz out there and then putting Jorginho in midfield and sacrificing Ziyech. I mean, for me, yeah, he's he's got to be one of the first names there. Mm. And it's interesting that Tammy Abraham is still getting plenty of minutes in this team mm. as well. 
I think uh, you know he, he had a, a good season last year, and I, I was kind of expecting him to just drop out and, and barely play. But he's still starting in that number nine role, and good luck to him. Yeah, uh, but that's still just one goal from open play for Burnley this season. It's their worst ever start to a Premier League campaign with just one point, leaving them bottom of the table. Uh, there's a bit of turmoil behind the scenes at Turf Moor, and it seems to have lost its fear factor generally. Do you think they should be worried, Podrick? Could we soon be seeing the end of Sean Dyche's time at Burnley? Don't know if we've don't know if we've seen the end of him, but I think yeah, he's definitely he'll be worried and fans will be worried. I mean, it is one of those Dan that you, I guess you could look at it and just say if a guy has been there for so long that things start to go stale. But I think like the one point um, from all the games this season that probably is a little harsh gun. I think there's been kind of thin margins in games, even the one against Chelsea. You know they they. Did well after half time, just before half time, is that they had, they did have their moments and three 0 Maybe they will feel a little hard done by but that. And but yeah, even in that game and in other games, you've seen Deitch is he's like tried to change formation three or four times now, and nothing really seems to be working for them. I think they're the lowest in the league for shots on target, the second lowest for creating chances, which just says it all about them. You kind of look at them and you go. Like where are the where are the chances even coming from? Let alone the goals. I mean, they're struggling as it is to create chances. And then you, Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood. I mean, they're not like Jamie Vardy or anything like this. They're not so prolific that you can rely on any time something falls their way. And then they had players left in the summer that maybe haven't been replaced properly, like Jeff Hendrick and the like. And oh, you've even got the takeover stuff that's kind of hanging over them now as well. You don't know what kind of role or part that will play if that was to go through mm. before January do, does Deitch's position yeah, come under scrutiny even more then do they get investment if they are struggling and you would you would think that no matter what happens between now and January I mean they'll be certainly still have relegation worries considering how they've started so yeah a lot, just a lot of uncertainty kind of looming over them at the moment yeah the transfer business in the summer was, was pretty poor and yeah. uh, like you say they, they've got this takeover possibly coming which might mean that they'll be able to invest in the squad a little bit but I remember saying earlier in the season on the on the podcast that you know we just kind of assume that Burnley will be all right um you know with a, with a safe pair of hands in Sean Dyche at the helm but I'm not so sure the way things are going for them this season I mean it's very early days of course but yeah this could be a real season of struggle for them if, if they, they don't get their act together soon I think I don't know why though sorry just very quickly on that transfer yeah. business how long have they been in the Premier League five six years mm. Don't you get like 90 million just from finishing in the Premier League? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's obviously well, unprecedented times that we're living in as well, isn't it? But Yeah, I, I, you would have thought they'd have something to spend on somebody. Mm. Uh-huh. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe no one wants to move there. <laughs> maybe not, no. It's a lovely uh, view over the... Um... The, the, the Pennines from I, kn- the <laughs> I knew you'd rep it in some weird way <laughs> did you see um, there was a, a, a thing doing the rounds this weekend from Ian Wone Sean Dyche's assistant um, an anecdote, anecdote about when they went on a trip to the Grand Canyon did you see uh, that yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he said they got to the Grand Canyon and Sean Dyche sort of like peered over for like two minutes and was like right we've seen it now let's go home <laughs> I think that just says it all, says it all yeah, about Sean Dyche it's Dyche. just a great big hole in the ground it is yeah. <laughs> oh my was. god that is the most Sean Dyche thing I've ever heard <laughs> I was a bit like that when I went to Machu Picchu, to be fair. After about five minutes, I was like, can we go home now? I'm bored of this. <laughs> uh, Tottenham are up to third in the table thanks to a 2-1 win away at Brighton on Sunday evening. Uh, Matt, you're a Spurs fan. What did you make of the penalty decision in this game? Oh, God, yeah. That was um, that was a tough one. There's so many uh, sort of angles of it. Of Was it inside or outside the box? Was it a foul? You know, is, is Kane sort of falling for it? Um <sighs> Oh, it's so difficult to not be biased. <laughs> um, I think Kane is looking for it. You can clearly see from the replays. He's aware. He's very aware of what Lalana's doing. Having said that, if you're going to be cute and try and get the ball, you've got to be aware that you can't go in knee high, right? Mm. That's not how you jump anyway on Kane. You can't come from the wrong side, because he wasn't goal side of Kane either. It's very... Kane's played it, but I think you've got to be a little bit more aware of this, of, of where you are on the pitch and how you're challenging from the ball for Lallana, because it does, it does look a bit foolish on the replay, but I can see why people are annoyed at Kane for it, 
because he's definitely he's definitely looking for the contact. Mm. He does that a lot, actually, Kane. I've noticed him mm. do that before. It's quite dangerous. I think someone's going to get seriously hurt from him doing that one of these days. Yeah, because it, 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 I saw the one with Aaron Creswell where he kind of fell over the top of Kane. Mm. Um, but yeah, but, but I saw as well everyone saying, "Oh, Kane's doing this and that." This is not a new thing. Do you think feeling, he's got a bit of a you know, feeling that the, the touch in your back and then going over is not a, a new phenomenon? Mm. You know, look at any defender um, in their own half. As soon as they feel a touch and they've got a chance to take a bit of pressure off, they go down. Yeah, w- without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but I just think, yeah, Kane sort of using it to his advantage a bit, and I think people will clock on. And when I see it, I'm you know obviously I'm delighted if he wins a penalty, but I'm not overly impressed with the way he does it. Yeah, do you think he's got a bit of a nasty streak to him, Kane? He comes across as this sort of boy next door type figure, England captain, married his childhood sweetheart, but I think he has got a bit of a yeah, absolutely. I think I think you have to be ruthless to try and you know achieve the levels that he has so consistently mm. and just constantly push. I wouldn't, you know, he'd be if he was a bit too nice like Tottenham have often been in the past. I don't think he would be kind of at the level that he's at. Mm. Uh, well, Tarek Lamptey got the equaliser for Brighton in this game. Like a lot of people, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, Padre, do you think he's going to be a right back for much longer, or, or does his future lie further up the pitch? I just, I, I just think he won't uh, won't be at Brighton. <laughs> yeah, but I think he's not. Uh, I don't think he's going to move because I think you just look at him and he's he's just like your perfect modern fullback. Like, and mm. he's always overlapping, always getting forward. He's really mm. good as but for a guy that young, like his final ball was dangerous. I mean he showed at the weekend he can finish to it. But at the same time he's never really exposed that much to he's never caught out at the back for all that and I know his pace helps him make up for that. And he's he just seems that he doesn't have a lot of weaknesses for like a guy that young. So I think yeah, he's like your perfect kind of fullback for the modern age. So I'd be surprised if anybody um did try to move him further forward. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of the chat around um, Alfonso Davies at Bayern Munich. Like people yeah. say, oh, he's sort of he's sort of wasted at, at left back. But you kind of think, well, if you've got a player who's that good at left back, who's that good going forward, then why move him further up the pitch when you could have an attacking player as well as him in the team? You can have, mm. you know, a really good right back who's or a left back who's chipping in with the goals um, and chipping in with with assists, and yeah. then another player on uh, ahead of them. So, yeah, I think even had they were linked to them weren't they, in the summer as well when they were yeah. looking to sign a new right back, even had Bayern were already kind of taking an interest. That would be that'd be quite worrying, Lamptey and. <laughs> And it would, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there was a bit of controversy about his goal, though, with Spurs claiming a foul from uh, Solly March on Hoiberg. What did you make of that one, Matt? It's a foul. Do you think so? I thought he got I, the ball, didn't he? No. <laughs> I don't know how the referee has missed it, but, you know, referees miss these things, whatever. But then gone to a TV screen and watched it 20 times and still made the wrong decision. I don't, he, he, what, what, what baffles me is, and you could kind of see what was happening when he was, he was talking to the, to the VAR people and looking at the screen and he was saying, pause it there. Show me this second freeze frame where it looks like March's heel has touched the top of the ball. And you can't just take that one freeze frame and think you've seen the whole picture hmm. i mean if anything you could tell by the picture that march's foot is over the ball yeah which would immediately suggest what's going on here and then he's completely taken out the rest of hoybier like it's not like you can kind of you know whack someone in the face and be like ah oh, but my toe touched the ball first so anything that happens <laughs> afterwards you know is, is is above the above the belt like that's not how it works like, you know, there wasn't clean contact with the ball. I mean, it was just such a ridiculous decision again to go against Tottenham. Mm. Um, I think, well, I know, I know Jose Mourinho wasn't happy with it, but I think that's probably the first time I've seen a Premier League referee check something on the monitor and not change their decision. Because that's usually yeah, how it, it seems goes, like isn't it? They yeah. always do. Yeah. yeah, typical. Spurs did get the winner when Gareth Bale came off the bench and scored a header. Um, bit of a sort of strange technique on that header it was like a stooping he didn't even jump did he basically but um, do you think mm. he's going to be going to be a big player for Spurs Matt is, and is he a good match for Kane and Son in that front three um, yeah I think he is for sure I think Mourinho is very right though when he talks about Bale's fitness and Bale being a top performer I think they've realised that fitness wise he's not what he was and I think he's definitely going to be a really important squad player as much as the thought of, you know, Kane Son Bale up front is great and, I, and I'm all for it and I'd love to see it eventually. 
Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Bale does play, you know, more sort of smaller games, if you will, the Europa League games, the League Cup games, and that he's not in the starting lineup for every single match. I don't think I don't think he's going to be at the level that Kane and Son are at consistently over the course of the season, and he's going to be just as good of a an impact sort of sub player than he will a starter as well. You know, it's not like I'm sort of desperate to see him start every single game wherever possible because, you know, if he's not going to consistently perform or be fit enough for it, then you, you want someone who is. So I think he's going to be an amazing player in terms of the whole team, but I'm not sure he's going to be at that crucial level that, that Son and Kane are at because, you know, they are the most crucial of crucial players to a, to a team I've seen in the Premier League this season. Mm. I mean, that is not a bad squad player to have at all, is it really? Yeah, yeah exactly. But did, did Spurs get him for free in the end? Was that official? Uh, on a one-year loan, yes, yeah, so without right, a loan, a loan fee. Right, right, okay. And half of the wages paid, I think. Yeah, no-brainer, isn't it, really? Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Brighton have scored 11 goals this season. Yeah, Every time I watch them, they seem to lack a bit of presence in the box. I mean, Neil, Neil Malpe wasn't in the squad for this game for tactical reasons. Any idea what was going on there, Podrick? Yeah, but apparently it was. Um, I think there was a story on Monday that basically said it's because he's got an inflated ego. <laughs> wow. uh, Neil Mopai. Now, I mean, how inflated your ego can be playing for playing for Brighton? Yeah, that sounds like a, an injury, doesn't it? Like uh, Neil Mopai's out today with an inflated ego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speedy recovery. Uh, I, I think they're playing Burnley on Friday night. Right. And I think with four days in between, and you know sort of putting your eggs in the Burnley can't score a goal Burnley okay, okay. Um, basket instead of Tottenham away kind of made a bit more sense yeah yeah all right but, yeah I think there was also a thing about that apparently had a a bus stop with somebody as well at, at training last week but mm. I mean who knows you would still yeah like Matt's saying it still seems strange to to take your only fit and firing striker out for for an away game but yeah with, maybe with Burnley on the horizon he probably I'm sure that his ego will have uh, deflated in time for that one. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope so yeah. <laughs> uh, Manchester City piled more misery on Sheffield United with a 1 0 win at Bramall Lane in Saturday's early kickoff. Uh, the game's only goal was a lovely strike from Kyle Walker. Is it fair to say he's probably been the best defender in the league so far this season, Matt? Yeah, I, it was funny. I was thinking about this the other day. When we talk about defenders, we often don't really talk about fullbacks anymore because yeah. we judge them on their attacking uh, stats. Sure, it, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like has Carl Walker been a good defender? Well, I don't know. I don't know about tackles and interceptions and all that laugh <laughs> that a defender's supposed to do. But going forward, yeah, it's been brilliant. And, um, how yeah, did you feel when, when Walker strike. left Spurs? Because there was a, there was a lot of you know chat about the money that City paid for him and, and was mm. it too much? Did, are you a Kyle Walker fan? I am. I think I think he's phenomenal. I think like we mentioned with Tariq Lamptey there, his pace is good enough to cover up some of his defensive flaws and you know to get back and cover. Um, and he's such an athlete going forward, and he's he's really really good um, technique as well. Walker, I've seen him a few times to City when Guardiola does that thing where a, a fullback sort of steps into the midfield, um, that like Fabian Delphi used to do on the other side. And you know he's got a good range of passing on him, and you've seen him hit long ranges like that before as well. It's I just find it funny when you know best defender of the of the season. But people always bring up goals and stats. Yeah, that's sure. that's how far along the fullback position has come. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I mean, City have generally been looking pretty defensively assured in recent weeks, and I think it might be fair to say they currently have the league's best centre back partnership in Ruben Diaz and Imeric Laporte, which has surprised me really because I wasn't hugely optimistic about the Diaz signing working so well so soon. Do you agree with me there, Podrick? Are they are they the best two in the league at the moment? Yeah, I think that's that's probably quite a fair shout. The, like when you look through them all, the the only other ones I'd maybe shine a light on to, is like Wolves is back three actually, but then that's I guess that's not a partnership. But mm-hmm. that um, Kilman, Cody, and uh, Bolly um, back three is really really starting to look good um, early on this season. But yeah, as far as the two goes, I mean they're really <clears throat> they're as good as as good as anybody else in the league at the moment. And like you said, yeah. To see Diaz kind of coming in and settling so quick um, is obviously massive for City. Yeah, obviously we're taking Virgil van Dijk out of the equation. If he was still around, then, then it might yeah, be a, of course. a different story. Yeah. Uh, going forward, though, City have uh, only scored nine goals in six games. They are 24, 19, 21 and 18 at the same stage in the previous four wow. seasons. Why do you think they're so wasteful going forward, Matt? 
Well, I mean, not having Aguero and Jesus is probably a big... That is true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's literally it. Yeah, I think that provides the difference. When you don't have two quality goal scorers to get your goals all the time, then you're not going to score as many. I think when the pressure's on for the wingers and the midfielders to get in on the act, it can be a little bit more daunting. Um, and you're also changing up a bit the style of play, um, like we were just discussing before with City. Who plays through the middle? And when you do, you're not really sort of... The way that Sterling would link up with a striker like Aguero um, and the way Mahrez would link up with him is different to how he'd link up with someone like Torres um, or Bernardo Silva, whoever else. So it's kind of... It, it, it's difficult for them on the pitch, as 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 obvious as that sounds when you're missing two strikers. Mm. I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter will know that I keep banging on about this, but I think City must be the least clinical good team in history. There's so many... There's so many ex- Examples in, in games where they'll sort of have a, a one-on-one situation and they'll fuck it up or they'll they'll pick the wrong pass at the wrong time. They, sh- they should score so many more goals than they do and they still score a lot of goals. And I just think mm. if Guardiola can solve that problem, nothing else matters. Defensive issues don't matter because you're just going to outscore the opposition. But how you solve a problem like that is a, is a huge mystery. It's I mean, one of those classics, Dan, in it, where you keep going, it always used to happen was as well when... You keep missing those chat, and you're like, eventually someone's going to get a battering off City here. Yeah. Like, eventually there's there's a six, there's a seven, maybe mm. now coming down the line. You'd think. Well, they're playing the team with the worst defensive record in the league next week in Liverpool. That's all I'll say about <laughs> that. So, yeah. well, they have conceded seven already. This exactly. Season, I mean, yeah, so yeah. if if Villa can do it, <laughs> um, there's a lot of debate around Riyad Mahrez at the moment. Podrick uh, rumours suggesting even his teammates are growing a bit impatient with him and thinking he's a bit greedy and should pass the ball more. Do you think he's the right player for the for, for the team that City are trying to be? I, I think like Mahrez is he's really really talented player. Yeah, and I, th- I think like he's he definitely has a a role to play in that City team. But I did see him like responding as well to the the story about. Mm. About that he's he's had teammates having what is it he'd have had a go at him repeatedly now about, about his greediness. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. You probably watch a lot more of him than me, so I mean, you're probably more uh, yeah more able to. I mean, I like him. He, he was definitely he was one of City's best players last season. It was all right. It was a pretty bad yeah. season overall, but he, he he definitely sort of won over a lot of his critics last season. And now he's he started the season really badly. He kind of slows down attacks quite a lot. And you know, you think of the kind of vintage um, City under Guardiola when they were they were. Um, Flying forward with with Sterling and, and Leroy Sané, and they're such a, a long way from that now. They're such a kind of pensive, um, slow build-up team, and I think he's a big reason for that. And I would personally like to see him um, pulled out of the side for a couple of games now against Liverpool, and, and maybe give um, Foden a run out on the wing, or, or Bernardo Silva on the wing, or or if if Aguero and, and Jesus are fit soon, get get Ferran Torres on the wing. <laughs> yeah, because I think I think Mahrez just needs a bit bit of a rest, really. But uh, still no wins for Sheffield United. Only three goals scored for them. They had a great chance to equalise in the second half when Rian Brewster went clean through on goal, but his attempt to lob Edison wasn't very good, to be honest. Um, does a moment like that suggest they might be in trouble if they're pinning all their goal hopes on Brewster, Matt? Yes. And I thought this the second they signed him. How can you <laughs> pin your hopes and spend so much money on a guy who hasn't played a minute of Premier League football? Yeah. I just, uh, what is it with this Liverpool tax? <laughs> Every, I mean, who was it before? Jordan Dominic Ibe. Solanke, Jordan Ibe, Ibe um, Divock Origi, if he goes, will all fetch between 20 to 30 million and they're absolutely useless. <laughs> they just can't. I mean, it wasn't Jordan I released on a free from Bournemouth this he summer. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's at Derby now, isn't he? Yeah. At, at Derby. Um, I think he went for, was it 15 million? I might have bought him for. Mm, I think so, yeah. Um, Dominic Solanke was like 30 million. <laughs> He, 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 for me, will always be the guy that scored and played more England under-21 games than he ever did in his professional career. He just, every week, it was just him banging hat-tricks in under-21s and never appearing in the Premier League. Same thing with Rian Brewster. I don't... You, you're better off signing, like, I don't know, is Kevin Phillips still about? Or, or Jermaine Defoe? Or someone who knows how to find the back of the net in the Premier League? Uh, because they didn't I even don't. have it anyway, Matt, didn't they? Not like you've got Ollie McBurney and David McGoldrick. I mean, you yeah. need if you've got those two already in that team, you need somebody who's a guaranteed and, and yeah, goals. Liz Liz Musa Musa. Yeah. Ah, yeah, Musa. Yeah. Right, another one couldn't do it at Bournemouth, right? So you think I know? I'll go and spend thirty million on someone that couldn't do it at Bournemouth. 
and then you expect him to suddenly turn it turn it around for for Sheffield United. I mean, I know they signed him last season. He scored one or two important goals. There's just such a lack of a goal scorer. It baffles me about how the club have sat down, looked at their recruitment, and thought, "No, no, no! Forget someone who can find the back of the net. We want someone who could potentially find the back of the net." Mm. I mean, I think he's he's got great potential, Brewster, hasn't he? And he, he might even show it this season. And he might be Sheffield United saver, but it does look like that was the wrong, the wrong signing for them, um, especially for yeah. that kind of money. So, yeah, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, Southampton continued their fine run of form with a 4-3 win away at Aston Villa on Sunday. James Ward-Prowse scored not one, but two brilliant free kicks for Southampton here. Do you think he's the best dead ball specialist in the Premier League, Podrick? Uh, for me, it's still, uh, still De Bruyne, I think. Oh, yeah? Like either if it's shooting or if it's like crossing, I think De Bruyne is yeah he's he's the best there is. I, th- I suppose Trent Alexander Arnold has a a stake in this one as well, doesn't he? Um, uh, a stat courtesy of Daniel Story. Um, Ward Prowse has been responsible for thirteen percent of the di- direct free kicks scored in the Premier League since the start of last season, which isn't bad, is it? Wow. <laughs> um, there was also an amazing goal from Danny Ings in this game. There's going to be a lot of talk mm. about him moving to a bigger club in the coming months. But Matt, do you think could he actually be better off staying where he is and where, you know, where he's playing games for Southampton and, and not having to worry about coming in and out of the team all the time? Yeah, I think so for sure. I don't see why he would need to move to a bigger club. If, if he needs to move you know, to get game time or because his team are in a relegation dogfight or he's not scoring and he's not in the England squad. Yeah, I get it. But at the moment, let's say for the Euros coming up, for England, um, England squad, what's going to do him better? Scoring goals at Southampton or sitting on the bench at, you know, behind, I don't know, Kane or Aguero? Mm. There's, there's, there's no need. If you're playing football in the Premier League and you're scoring, yes, he's not playing in Europe and yes, he's not challenging for a Premier League title, but not everybody can. I mean, there isn't a top six team who would take Ings ahead of their starting striker at the moment. Um, so w- w- what's the need for him to move? I mean, he mm. must know by now it'd surely just be damaging for his career. If Southampton starts to slide again and he's not where his goal scoring talents deserve to be, then yes. But at the moment, there's no need at all. Well, for fifth, me anyway. The fifth in the league at the moment, they're on a great run. Exactly. So who knows? In, in this crazy season, maybe they could be title challengers. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we all got a bit excited about Aston Villa a few weeks ago, but do you think their last couple of results is, is a case of them regressing to the mean, Podrick? Yeah, I think it's probably fair, isn't it? Especially it was the game we touched on earlier with the the seven two against Liverpool. I mean, there's no other way but down after that. And yeah, that was a great example of that game. And there was other games where it just seemed like everything they were trying, every shot they were taking, everything was coming off. I I think that they're probably somewhere in between the two. I don't think they're as bad as a team as they looked against Leeds. Um, as they looked in the first half against Southampton, they're obviously not as good as a team that's going to destroy the best team in the league every week. But I think they're definitely a lot better than they were last season. And I'd be surprised if, like, come three, four weeks to go in the season, if they were dragged down in the in the dogfight again. I mean, it was only what was it the, when they beat Arsenal the second last game of last season that it kind of really bailed them out. I mean, they they looked for a lot of last season like they would be gone and then spent big money in the summer obviously mm. so I think that they'll they should be alright I would be surprised if, if they were involved in the in the in any kind of like relegation worries but yeah they're I think back to back down to earth with a bit of a bump now yeah I mean if you only watch the highlights of that game it probably looked pretty bad from Villa's perspective they were 4-1 down at one point of course um, but the XG in this game was 2 for Villa and only 0.68 for Southampton so you know perhaps it was just a case of Villa being done, undone by some brilliant goals which can happen it happened to them against Leeds as well even though they weren't great that day um, Newcastle subjected Everton to their second successive defeat in a game that finished 2-1 to the host at St James Park on Sunday uh, Padre Carlo Ancelotti's team selection was a bit odd here aside from picking in a assortment of midfielders he also rested Jordan Pickford and played Robin Olsen in goal what do you think he was up to there do you think you can you can rest the goalkeeper but I think with Pickford it's uh, it's a weird one given like all the stuff that happened with Van Dijk mm. like I think there's plenty of Everton fans that I've seen saying it as well that I think dropping him has probably been long overdue for a while um, he just he does not fill me with a lot of confidence I think he's he's always kind of Seems like he's got a mistake in him, and it, the Van Dyke thing then came along, and it probably made it a little harder for maybe Ancelotti. It might have been in his thoughts, but then to like immediately 
kind of drop him. I think that obviously the reason why they brought Robin Olsen in was because this is something that he probably felt that he had to do. And I think, yeah, it's something that has probably been in the post for a while for Pickford and Olsen. I've seen him getting a little bit of blame, I guess, for the second goal, but I think that's a bit harsh. It's kind of Fraser's came in at him quickly mm. and it's kind of loops over him before maybe really can do too much about it. But it'll be interesting to see what he does now, whether it was just a one-off, maybe it would take him out of the firing line with the criticism and all the, the stuff with the injury to Van Dyke as well, or if it's maybe something that he's planning kind of longer term. Well, I think Angelotti said that he's going to be back in the team for the Man United mm. game next week, so probably see him straight back in there. Um, I wonder if there's, there's a rule that if you're a sub-goalkeeper sitting on the bench, you have to chew gum for the entire 90 minutes, because every time <laughs> the camera shows a sub-goalie on the bench, they're chewing gum, and Pickford was doing it in this game as well. Andre Gomez is in pretty bad form. He, he clumsily gave away a penalty for the first goal in this game. Do you think he's ever going to be the player that he was after that horrific injury last season, Matt? Um, yeah, but I, I, I would, you're making it sound like he's gone from an absolute baller to, you know, someone who's pretty clumsy. I mean, he was <laughs> clumsy for the penalty, but I'm not sure his level is actually anything so spectacular. Mm. I don't know. I think, can he get back to that level? Yeah, because it's the level of, you know, an average to good midfielder in the Premier League. I think he's good, Gomez, but he's not, he wasn't exactly completely and utterly dominating everything amazing that Everton did. And I think with their signings, there are bigger and better players than him now that, I don't know, he isn't better than Alan or Decore for me mm-hmm. in oh, the middle. Not. No, no. He, he, he was the best in a poor Everton team and now they've made good signings. He's, you know, one of the, the middle pack in a very good Everton team, certainly on paper, not the last few results. Um, so, yeah, I think obviously confidence mentality-wise is very difficult to get out of an injury like that. And he came back so quickly, so, so quickly from such a horrific break. Mm. But he, I don't know, I just don't think he ever was destined to be something phenomenal. Otherwise, you know, no offence, but his career path wouldn't have taken him from Barcelona to Everton. Yeah, maybe he was just in a, a good vein of form before that yeah. injury that's kind of made us think he's a better player than he actually is. Yeah. Mm. Um, we talked, Podrick, about Aston Villa regressing to the mean in recent weeks. Do you think it's the same for Everton? I mean, that they were without Luca Dean, Richarlison and James Rodriguez in this game. Yeah, and, and like those are all big players and then like you'd mentioned Pickford as well. I mean, mm. I don't know, it seemed like Ancelotti maybe out thought himself a little bit or I mean for him to be tactically outfoxed by Steve Bruce because they even with the changes you would have still thought that they should be good enough to to win that game but then it's probably it's kind of hinges on that the the penalty that you mentioned um which was just really really clumsy one to give away I, they, I don't know I think they're still um they'll probably go out and they'll, they'll beat Man United now like next weekend and kind of get straight back on it so yeah, I think he just kind of, what I thought just watching it was that he kind of overthought um, really what he had to do against Newcastle. Yeah, Steve Bruce uh, made an interesting point after this game uh, where he was saying that scoring the first goal is more important than ever with no fans in the stadium. I never really thought about it like that, but fair play to Brucey. We've slagged Newcastle off in recent weeks and slagged him <laughs> off and they, they got a good result there. And Everton have got Man United next week. Newcastle have got Southampton, so both of them should be very interesting games. Uh, Wolves got their fourth win of the season when they beat Crystal Palace 2-0 at Molyneux on Friday night. Uh, we talked about Man City having the best centre-back partnership, but I don't think there's too many better pairs of full-backs in the league than Nelson some media when Ryan Eight Nori on, on the evidence of this game are the Podrick? Yeah, and it's it's like what Matt had had said earlier about I mean we're gonna praise Semedo and Eight Nori, but then yeah. it kinda comes down to what they did um in an attacking sense against yeah, yeah. Crystal Pat. I mean Eight Nuri took has took that goal really well mm. for like a kind of an unknown um on his just debut as well. The, yeah. yeah, on his debut and you can't hadn't really seen anything I don't know didn't know a whole lot about him before before Wolves signed him in the sort, but yeah, he looked looked really good, really a uh, really solid start. But yeah, what we'd said earlier, he looked more impressive in an attacking sense. I don't think Palace really um, really troubled him that much. It was more Semedo's side that they kind of focused on for the whole game, and even then, he'd he'd dealt with it well. And it's quite good for Wolves, I guess, that you know they'd lost Matt Doherty, and you kind of you were worried because I mean he was he was a really important part of that team. Um, Oh, that kind of wing back role for, for such a long time and then Semedo's come in and slotted in perfectly. 
Yeah. I, I thought uh, Spurs had the Premier League's worst goal music with Darude uh, Sandstorm. You know, we talked <laughs> about that the other week, didn't we, Matt? Um, until I clocked that Wolves have got um, Lamour Toujours by Gigi Diagostino for theirs. I wonder if Europop must still be massive in the black country or something, because that's the only <laughs> the only reason I could think that they've got that. Um, I was really impressed with Daniel Podence in this game. I think he's been, he's been pretty good as well. I'm wondering, do you think Wolves have a song for him to the tune of Dear Prudence by the Beatles? Dan wow, Podence. I don't even know that song. You don't know Dear Prudence? Come on. No, but I'm going to listen. <laughs> Give us a quick rendition, Dan. <laughs> no, the, the people will be turning off in the droves if I started singing. <laughs> but uh, look it up on YouTube after the podcast. Okay, I will do. <laughs> uh, Palace would deny the penalty in this game when VAR spotted an offside in the build-up. We slack VAR off when it goes wrong, so I think it's only fair we praise it when it goes right, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty, a pretty good call and it's, as you say, we get it when it when it goes wrong. We do we do give it a bit of slack. Um, I always wonder though, what does count for in the build up? <laughs> oh, because all, how all far do you take it back? Stuff, yeah. And like it, it kind of adds a new dimension to the offside rule. Like the offside rule needed any more dimensions. <laughs> phase of play, phase one, phase two. You know, this way, that, and the other. Um, so yeah, I guess when it goes right, we can all congratulate it. I still worry that it's making the linesmen and the referees more dependent on it and less capable in their own job. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I've not even begun to try to understand all this phases of play stuff, to be yeah. honest with you. I'm just sort of rolling with it, I guess. Um, yeah, you, what, I just... What it happened. Make, yeah, it did, yeah. What, what did you make of the red card, Podrick, for, for Palace's Luka Milivojevic in this one? Uh, Roy Hodgson said he didn't even think it was a foul after the game. Uh, I mean, I don't know. That's I, I saw that as well, and I was quite surprised. Um, I think when you you see it in real time, it's one of those that he maybe gets away with it um, if VAR is not involved anymore. But yeah, it's when you. It's also I. Th- I can. The only kind of sympathy I have with Hodgson is that I guess if you slow it down to the point where when you've seen it on the screen and it's paused right at the moment that he makes contact with his ankle, then. It looks a lot worse than it is, but I think it was definitely a deserved red card. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I couldn't understand Hodgson's point of view at all. Yeah, I think that's textbook dangerous play, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a rather surprising scoreline at Ellen Road on Monday night as Leicester won four-one away at Leeds. Leicester's first goal stemmed from an error from Robin Cock. He's made a few of those already this season. Do you think Leeds fans should be a bit worried about him, Matt? Um. Yeah, they probably should. To be honest, again, it's. He's in a very precarious position. I always think that experience counts for so much. And I get Bielsa's trying to imprint, you know, his tactics on Leeds and on the Premier League. Um, but there are some really sort of um, basics that I feel like an experienced Premier League defender really wouldn't make. Um, sorry, the basics they would understand, they wouldn't make these sort of mistakes. And especially when you're a newly promoted team and for all the exciting and attacking play that Leeds do they really must be aware that releg- um, avoiding relegation is first and foremost. And I think that kind of fits in with doing the basics as a defender and really not giving away too many, um, making too many mistakes. I don't know. Uh, it, it's, it's a tough one because, yeah, like you said, if he fits into the system well and plays well, great. But personally, for me, I would trust someone a bit more experienced. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fair to say that Leeds are going to be okay this season, isn't it? In terms of relegation, I'd be amazed if they got dragged into into mm. anything, given given some of the drag that's down at the bottom of the table. That's um, true. I mean, if the, the the penalty Leicester got right at the end of this match wasn't a perfect argument for my twelve yard box idea, then I don't know what is. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen yes. that one, but it was so like it was so far away from goal. It might as well have been a throw in. You know, it was like so far in the corner of the box. This would have been yeah. the perfect time to test it, Dan. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Podrick, you're, you're a Celtic fan, so I'll let you have the casting vote on your former manager this week. Is Brendan Rodgers a fraud or a genius? Fraud. If he was a fraud, you wouldn't have been upset about him leaving Celtic. No, I know, I know. It's, <laughs> I think there's he's a he's a flawed genius. Then. <laughs> that rare time. <laughs> uh, I'm going to level with you, lads. I didn't watch Fulham two West Brom nil last night. Um, I'd be very curious to see. Dan, I did. Well, good. I mean, I'd be very curious to see the pay per view figures for that game. But but Fulham <laughs> finally got their first win. Um, Podrick, what did you make of their performance? Yeah, this. They played all right, but it was more. I think when you come out of that game, you you'd be more worried about West Brom um, mm. than you would kind of be 
overly optimistic about Fulham's prospects. I, I, I don't think they were they're anything too special, but Billich just looked like a beaten man. I mean, he's kind of talked for pretty much all the summer about how he wanted players in. They didn't get anyone, and then kind of insult to injury, they sold Higazi behind his back, and yeah. he, he just looks like a guy who's almost like given up the ghost already. Mm. Um, whether he kind of walks away himself or the club just decide to to cut that, I wouldn't be surprised to see him. Um, maybe being the the first one or next one to to go in the Premier League, he just yeah, he looks like a beaten man. And to be honest, even though it's what seven games in, uh, they already look like a, a beaten team as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Matt. Do you think uh, that the bottom three, as it stands, is West Brom, Sheffield United, and Burnley? Do you think it's likely that those three are going to be the clubs going down come the end of the season? Um, no, I, I would put Fulham in there mm. ahead of um, ahead of Sheffield United. But I just think Fulham and West Brom, the only chance they've got winning, of winning this season is when they play each other. That's it. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. the, the, that's the only way. If you've made Fulham look good, a 2-0 comfortable victory good, you must be pony because everyone else <laughs> is spanking Fulham. So, I mean, the, both of them are just as bad as each other. Recruitment was terrible. The players aren't good enough for the Premier League. Um, they haven't learnt from last time, Fulham, at all. Have not learned from last time. Neither and have West Brom, really, have they? So, yeah, they just both of them just look so woeful. Having said that, um, Tottenham always draw at West Brom. So this weekend, when Spurs play against West Brom, it'll be a one-all draw, and I'll be kicking myself. <laughs> having said all this on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, well, that's all we've got time for on this week's episode of the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast. I've been Dan Burke. Thanks to Matt Frolick and Podrick Whelan for joining me. We'll be back again on Monday next week. And if you'd like to get in touch in the meantime, you can email us on podcast at onefootball.com or tweet us at onefootball. And be sure to check out the Euro Podcast on Thursday when Ian McCourt will be talking all things Champions League. See you next time. <laughs>